Good morning, Sugar Creek. How are you today? Y'all are, are hurting. I love every one of you. Today we're going to talk about how to experience abundant life. Life to the full. Life to the max. Life till it overflows. What if I could show you one action that you can take that is scientifically proven to do these things on the screen. Reduce stress, support one's physical health, enhance one's sense of purpose, shown to increase one's lifespan, improve your relationships, make you feel better about yourself, naturally fight depression, overcome self-sabotage. What if there's one action you could take and experience that? It is scientifically proven. Let me share with you some sources where I found these benefits. Scientific American, the Institute of Social Research at the University of Michigan, the Journal of Behavioral Medicine, and the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley. This is amazing. This blows my mind. The one action you can take to experience that is not eating healthier, it's not exercise, it's not taking vitamins, it's not finding a way to improve your sleep, the one action is be generous. That's it. This is an amazing thing that science has proven this. Now, the Bible has said this all along, but science is now catching up with what the Bible teaches about generosity. Now, I love to preach on generosity, and I'll tell you why. Because my greatest sin tendency is in greed and materialism. I've struggled with it my entire life. Now, thank God he's delivered me from 95% of it, but I still struggle a little bit with it. So generosity was hard for me because I was so self-focused, not just with money, but with everything. But one day, it was just a random day, kind of like today, um, one day, I talked with my wife and I said, you know, we need to become generous. And she was quick to say yes. She doesn't have the materialism greed problem that I do. She said, yes, let's become generous. And we, though this was hard for a while, we, we began receiving the benefits that you saw on the screen right there, plus some Bible benefits that we'll talk about later. And literally... Our generosity has brought to us a quality of life that is so superior to any life that we ever had prior to being generous. There are few subjects that can make such a wonderful, enjoyable life change for people as generosity. Now, we, most of us live in America, and it's pretty common for Americans to pursue the American dream. Now, I love the freedoms of our country. Um, but pursuing the American dream, not always, but sometimes it can lead to this self-focused, materialistic lifestyle, and it ends up leading to really a meaningless lifestyle. You know, in Ecclesiastes 1-2, 
The Bible says, and this was Solomon speaking, Pastor Mark preached on this recently, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. But we don't have to settle for a meaningless existence because Jesus has something better for us and he calls it abundant life. You're going to hear me talk about abundant life all morning long. And I'm going to show you how to have it. And it's so exciting. Now, when people think, church people think of giving or generosity, there's two basic lines of thought. And I want to talk about both of them. The first line of thought is giving cheerfully. The second, oh, and by the way, if, if, if you can give $5 cheerfully, but you can't give $6 cheerfully, then you just give five. That's, that's the concept of the cheerful giver philosophy. You know, if you, if you can't give anything cheerfully, then you don't give anything. That is the teaching of the, this type of a lifestyle. Um, I'll read it to you now. It's 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, anytime a person builds a, a doctrine, so to speak, they build a belief system on just one verse, it almost always causes problems. The Bible is a big book, and we are to take everything into consideration when we are forming a belief system. And there are some problems with people, not, not so much people, but the belief system of people who choose this, I'm not going to give because I can't do it cheerfully. There's problems with it, biblical problems, and I'm going to share some of them with you. The context of this passage is a special offering above and beyond the regular giving at the church at Corinth. The context makes it clear. This, it's kind of like the REACH campaign. Many of us have given to the REACH campaign, and we continue to do so. And, and it's a special offering above and beyond the offering we give to the ministries of the church. And so... That's what this was. It was a special offering. And the second problem with building a belief system on just one verse, Paul in this passage is encouraging generosity. You know, he, he's not giving people an easy out from giving at all. I'll, I'll read it to you from verses 6 through 11. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly, now this is a farming community. You sow seeds and then you get a crop. The farming community, their crops represented their income. It was their way of life. That's what they did to make money. So this could just as easily said, whoever gives sparingly will also receive sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also receive generously. Paul is encouraging people to give big. Give big. Because 
the more you give, the more blessing you receive. Now, God's blessings are not always financial in nature. Sometimes they're even better than financial in nature. However, sometimes they are financial in nature. And I've received some of those. And it's an amazing thing. So get this. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I don't want you to give based on compulsion or manipulation or anything like that. Paul didn't want that to happen either. However, if the Holy Spirit convicts you to give, that's different. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. It's, it's, It's a prompting, and you just know it. So sometimes that feels like manipulation, but it's not. That's the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to manipulate you here today. You don't have to give anything if you don't want to give. So relax about that. So, but, but you're going to be amazed here in a moment at what we see. I'm going to continue reading this passage. And God is able to bless you abundantly. Hey, have we talked about abundant life today? Paul in this verse is saying, give big, but don't let, him, don't let me as a human manipulate you. So, but if the Holy Spirit prompts you or convicts you, give big, give big. And God's going to bless you abundantly, abundant life, a life to the full, life to the max, a life till it overflows you will be enriched in every way. Folks, that's abundant life right there. When you are enriched in every way, that's a gift from God to you. Oh my goodness, that's abundant life. This is all in the same passage. And you, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, there's another problem with people whose belief systems just centers on this verse only. And that is, God also loves non-cheerful givers. God loves everybody. So when this says God loves cheerful givers, yeah, there is a special connection between God and a person who's generous. Um, The New Testament gives us the recipe to become a cheerful giver. It tells us in Matthew... 621, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Here's what that means. If you give and give big, you're going to have a heart shift, and that is going to create a closeness between you and God that you can experience no other way. Now, in my wallet, which I have right here, um, I have a $1 bill that's been there for 20 years. Same dollar. And it's got a sticky note on it. And on the sticky note, it tells me the date of Father's Day. Uh, it was, I think it was 1998, and I think it was June the 1st. I've got it all on the dollar. But it was given to me by my daughter on Father's Day. And one of the things that blew me away about this is this dollar was all the money she had. 
I really wanted to not receive it because, because I wanted her to have her dollar, but she really wanted to give it because she loves her daddy. She was about eight years old. And what happened between us was this. There was a close connection we experienced. I'm, I cried. And she was so happy to show her love for me through generosity. It created a connection between us that we would never have experienced any other way. Same thing it is with God. Now, <clears throat> there is another view of giving. In most churchgoers have one of these two views. This one is tithing, which is giving 10% of your gross income to God through your church. That's what tithing is, and it's to the ministry's fund. The reason is because the tithe in the Old Testament and the tithe in the New Testament have the same purpose. The Old Testament, they gave to the temple for the ministries that went through the temple. And in the New Testament, we give to the local church for the ministries through the local church. Some of you may be asking, but if we have to practice tithing, why don't we follow all the laws of the Old Testament? And that's a very good question. In fact, some people dismiss Christians because they say we follow some of the Bible, but we ignore other parts of the Bible. The question comes around like this, or the statement. Some people will say, Okay, so when it comes to certain sexual behaviors, you stand strong and call it sin. But then when it comes to the command in the Old Testament, do not eat shellfish, you ignore it. You're inconsistent. Christians, I don't buy. Well, not only do non-believers have that problem, but a lot of believers don't understand why we follow some laws from the Old Testament and others we are not bound by. Now, in the New Testament, it is clear that Jesus and others viewed the Old Testament law in three ways. Now, in the Old Testament for Israel, they were all blended together, so they didn't see them in three ways, but when the Old Testament looks, a New Testament looks back, it shows three divisions of laws. One is civil laws, two ceremonial laws, and three moral laws. Now, civil laws were specific to Old Testament Israel, and we are not to follow them. Jesus started a new Israel. It's the church. We are not bound by the civil laws in the Old Testament. Now, we are bound by the civil laws in our country. If you... Um, break one of those laws and are caught, you're going to have to make restitution. You're probably going to pay somebody some big money if you break a civil law. Now, the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament dealt with how holy God was and how unholy the Israelites were, and this is where the sacrificial system came in. You know, in order for Israel's sins to be atoned for, forgiven, they had to have a, an animal 
that was firstborn and unblemished, and they had to, to kill the animal to atone for their sins, for there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. But in the New Testament, Jesus says, you don't have to do that anymore because I am the sacrificial lamb. I'm going to die. I'm going to shed my blood so that your sins can be forgiven. And it's for all people who receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Moral laws. We are bound by the moral laws from the Old Testament. Let me illustrate. In the Old Testament, it was wrong to murder, and in the New Testament, under the days of grace, it's wrong to murder. In the Old Testament, it was wrong to steal. In the New Testament, and under the days of grace, it's still wrong to steal. The reason is because God's assessment of good and evil, of right and wrong, are reflected in his character, and his character never changes, and his views on morality never change. In the New Testament, Jesus reaffirmed all these Old Testament laws that are moral in nature. He either reaffirmed them or intensified them. I'll give you an example. Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Right here, Jesus is intensifying one of the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments are all moral laws that we should live by now, but there are other moral laws in the Old Testament we should also live by now. The key is... We we're not bound by civil laws from the Old Testament. We're not bound by ceremonial laws from the Old Testament. We are bound by the moral laws of the Old Testament. So go ahead and enjoy your shrimp, but don't throw away the Ten Commandments just yet. Now, what does this have to do with tithing? Tithing is one of the moral laws from the Old Testament that comes across into the New Testament. I'll show you why. In Leviticus 27.30, a tithe, which is 10% of your gross income, of everything from the land, whether grain or from the soil or from the fruit or from the trees, it belongs to the Lord. Can you underline belongs to the Lord? It is holy and consecrated to the Lord. In this verse, we have an ownership issue and we have an amount issue. It says the tithe belongs to the Lord. In other words, it is not ours. We don't get to choose what we do with it. We, we do what the Bible teaches about the tithe. Notice it uses the word everything, a tithe of everything from your salary. Now, let me tell you why God put that in there. I think. Both the Israelites and current day churchgoers have a temptation to subtract stuff out before they figure their tithe. For example, some people will say, well, I'm going to tithe on the net income, but I'm not going to tithe on the gross. Well, God knew we would be thinking like this. 
And so he says a tithe of everything off the top. You can't subtract stuff out. Hey, when we pay taxes, we're paying rent to live in the United States of America. And we can't subtract our rent out before figuring our tithe. That's gross income. Now, Malachi 3.8 says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? Verse 10 says, bring the whole tithe. God now says this. It really is stealing if you don't tithe because you're robbing God. This is an ownership issue. The tithe is not ours. It's his. We don't get to choose what we do with it. Then in verse 10, it says, bring the whole tithe. Why did God say whole tithe? Because he knew we would be tempted to subtract our taxes out, and he doesn't want us to subtract anything out. The whole tithe. He didn't have to put the word whole in there. Everything. He didn't have to put the word everything in there. Now, for business owners, you have another uh, opportunity to tithe, and I'll tell you how that works. When you receive income from your business that you use to make your mortgage payment, car payment, when you receive income, that's your quote-unquote salary, and you would tithe off of the gross income from the salary. But then when you figure your profit-loss statement for the business, if you show a profit, you would also tithe off of the profit the reason is because Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord out of all that the Lord has prospered you. Now, we can't really, none of us can really give a tithe. It's impossible to give a tithe. We can only return the tithe to its rightful owner. When we give above and beyond the tithe, we can give, but not with 10%. It's a, it's a God, God owns it. Jesus reaffirmed tithing in the New Testament. Matthew 23, 23, what sorrow awaits you teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, you are careful to tithe even on the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. In every moral case, every moral situation, and this is moral because it's stealing if we don't give it, if we don't return it, (laughs) Um, Jesus reaffirms many Old Testament um, moral laws or intensifies them. It's amazing. The God loves a cheerful giver passage in no way negates the tithe. It is referring to giving above and beyond the tithe. Generosity is more than tithing. Now, let's look in your notes at the benefits of tithing and giving offerings above the tithe. I'm going to ask you to underline some words here. 
A generous person will be blessed. I'd underline the word blessed. One gives freely and grows richer. I would underline grows richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want or lack. Don't forget to do good and share with those in need. These are sacrifices that please God. I would underline please God. Do you want to please God? Well, this is one of the ways. Give and it will be given to you. Folks, Jesus is a giver. It's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus is generous. And he is, you'll, you'll see as you give, and those of you who do give already know it, you'll see his generosity, sometimes through finances and sometimes the blessings are better than finances. But you would certainly enjoy all the blessings of God. About 20 years ago, I served a church um, in Lubbock, Texas, and Easter was coming up, and I have three girls, and they were young back then, and we didn't have a lot of money, and we had, um, we had dresses for our girls. They weren't new, but they were nice and pretty dresses for Easter Sunday, and two of my girls had shoes that fit, dress shoes. But one of our girls, her, she had outgrown her dress shoes. And so we um, didn't know what to do because we didn't have the money to buy shoes. Yeah, we could garage sell it, but we'd have to wait until the day before and then Easter, the Saturday, and then we might not find anything. And so Ruthie and I prayed. We didn't tell anybody except God and us. Lord, we need some new or used shoes that are black and in this size for our daughter. The next day, my wife received a phone call from the manager of a shoe store in the mall in Lubbock. The manager said this, I'm calling for Ruthie Ammons and Ruthie said, I'm Ruthie. He said, I'm doing something that's a little peculiar, and it's never happened to me before. But there's somebody standing across the counter from me that just brought in $75. And they're, they're staying across the counter from me because they want me to be accountable. If, if, I, if, if they walked out, they were afraid I would steal the $75. But... But this person has given $75 for you to come and buy shoes. I cried. And that is God. I can't even believe it happened. I cannot believe it happened. So we went and... We bought her shoes, and it was totally paid for, and Easter Sunday, she had shoes. God, you're amazing. The next verse, those who give to the poor will lack nothing. I would underline lack nothing. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Listen, here's what this means. Your generosity or lack thereof will impact your children. If you're generous, it will impact them in a positive way and in a way that they will be blessed. If you're stingy, 
it will impact them in a negative way, and it stick, may stick with them the rest of their life. It's amazing here that the Bible connects generosity with blessing your children, but it's amazing. Good will come, I would underline that, to those who are generous. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I would underline blessed. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this as the Lord Almighty and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I would underline much blessing. I will rebuke the devourer for you. This is in the context of if you tithe and give offerings, God will do something for you. He will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Again, a farming community situation. Their crops were their income. (coughs) Pardon me. And God is saying, I'm going to put a supernatural protection over your crops. I'm not going to let the devil devour it. Now, you know... It's true for us, too. If we give a tithe and offerings, we get a supernatural protection over our finances, so much so that 90% without God's blessing goes further than 100% with God's blessing. The math behind this is if you don't give 10%, God will... Let the devourer eat away at your income. Ruthie and I reverse tested God one day. You know, we were tithing at the time, and we decided we're going to stop for a while because I wanted to go to an expensive seminary in California. And we thought we would just take the tithe and set it aside for savings so we could go to that seminary. And we justified it by saying, well, this is a part of our ministry. It's kind of like giving to the church. I mean, we justified it, but it was not good justification. And so for two or three months, we stopped tithing. I'll tell you, this was a shocker for me. We felt like we had just received a 50% cut in our salary. Things that never caused us problems that we needed to pay for started happening. And we recognized, oh my goodness, God really has been binding the devourer when we tithed. And now he's let the devourer loose and we, he's eaten up our income. It was unbelievable. I want, to sh- I want to show you what happens if you don't tithe. This is an example of the devil devouring your income. I've got a $10 bill here. And I want you to watch and continue watching. That $10 bill is gone. It's not in this room. You cannot find it. It is gone. And that's what the devil does when he's devouring our income. I don't want the devil to get loose on my income. I've already had that deal. 
Now let's turn to the last page, and I want to show you the church generosity ladder. It illustrates different places where people are on their giving journey. There's the non-giver, and there are people that go to church and never give. Um, And it's easy for church finance offices to figure this out because they look at the number of adults and maybe even teenagers that attend the church, and then they look at the total number of givers. And do you know what the average is? All across the country, I don't know if it's true here, but all across the country, 50% of people who attend church give zero. Now look at the next level. A first-time giver, the next level. A regular giver, the next level. A 10% giver. Again, we don't get to choose where it goes because it doesn't belong to us. It goes to the ministries fund of the church. In the envelope, on the upper left side, it says tithe. And that's where the tithe goes. That's where it goes. That's the ministry's budget of the church. We have so many amazing ministries that are funded through people who tithe and give offerings. Now, some people think it's okay to give their quote-unquote tithe to somebody else. This is a Houston Chronicle article that was released recently. And the title is, Churchgoers Say That Gifts to Charity and to Needy People Count as Tithing. On down in in the article, it says, even some of the people count gifts to secular organizations as a part of their tithe. You see what's happening? You got people that are saying, okay, I've got 10%, but I'm going to give 3% to Sugar Creek. I'm going to give 3% to E3 Partners. I'm going to give 3% to to somebody who's poor, and I'm going to give 1% to whatever. That is, that's my timer. That means I got to stop. I can't stop it. Okay, so I'm going to rush through this, but But here's the deal. God says, bring the whole 10% to the storehouse. In the Old Testament, that was the temple. In the New Testament, it's the local church. That's what we do with it. Now, financial advisors will often give different types of financial advice, but the most common advice that I've received from financial advisors is this. Pay who first. Who? Pay yourself first. Okay? Which, and do you know what percent of your income they generally recommend to pay yourself first? 10%. Now, that is not in this book. It is in this book called The Richest Man in Babylon by George Clayson, and it's a good book on finances, and I would encourage you to read it. But I just want you to know, he teaches pay yourself first, and that is not at all what this book says. It says pay God first. First fruits teaching is all through the Bible. Now look to the next level, generous giver. 
This is somebody who gives a tithe and they also give more than a tithe. Now, I give more to the, Re- I give to the REACH campaign above and beyond my tithe. I give to a missions organization above my tithe. Um, I give to p- some poor people um, as the Lord prompts me to. And by the way, if you give to this church, you're giving to poor people. Because this church takes money, this is some of our ministries, and we rescue girls from human trafficking on Bissonette on a regular basis. We rescue girls on a regular basis in Nepal. We give a good amount of money to an orphanage in Colombia. So, and this is what I would call the generous giver. I do want to go back and mention the regular giver. Um, the regular giver is somebody who gives, every time they get paid, it's just not 10%. Okay? And then, of course, the first-time giver makes complete sense. Now, let's talk about the legacy giver. A legacy giver is somebody who decides to leave a percentage of their estate to God through their church. Um, I had never even thought of such a thing. But somebody asked me a question that made me think of it. They said, what do you value, value most on, in, in your life? And I said, Jesus, my church, and my kids, that, that's what I value most. He said, wouldn't you want your last testament to reflect your values? I said, that makes complete sense. So I called my attorney who did the will And I changed it to say the first 10% of my estate goes to Sugar Creek Baptist Church. And I feel so good about it. And it's not hard to do if you already have a will. You can just call your attorney and do the same. Uh, If you don't have a will, we're going to have a workshop coming up that will help you get one practically for free. Um, Now, I want to go through these Next steps with you. First, I will not let fear stop me from being generous. I will make the decision to be more, be or become a generous person and will trust that God will take care of me. I will begin or continue giving 10% of my income to God through Sugar Creek's Ministries Fund. It's marked tithe on the giving envelope. I will climb up one additional step from where I am currently on the generosity, church generosity ladder. Listen, if there's any non-givers in here today, I would encourage you to make your first gift today. And I don't care how much it is. It's just a step. It's a step. You know, in my life, my spiritual life has looked like this. Baby step, baby step, baby step, baby step, baby step. But there's two things that I did that caused me to take giant spiritual steps forward. The first one is to become generous. Tithe and offerings above the tithe. I'm telling you, I became spiritually more mature. I began receiving all the benefits. And it was a spiritual growth giant step. The other one was learning to share my faith and actually doing it, though it scared me to death. But today's sermon is not about evangelism. Maybe I can preach on that someday. But today is about the generosity step. If you are a regular giver, you give every time you get paid, I would encourage you to bump up to 10%. 
In the Bible, 10% is where the supernatural of God comes through for you. You get the salary protection. You get more blessings than you can even contain. They may not all be financial, but some of them may be. And so 10% is where the supernatural power of God literally helps uh, your income. Next, the generous giver. If you're a 10% giver now, I'd encourage you to become a generous giver. Give more than that to something. And the legacy giver I've explained. Now, I will climb up one additional step from where I am currently on the generosity ladder. That's one of the action steps. I will sign up for recurring automated giving because generosity to God is so important to me. You can do that at sugarcreek.net slash give. You can also do it through bank. But I love, love automated giving. And because God is so first to me that I give on the 1st and the 15th before we buy anything else. And the automated giving enables that to happen. And then when the worship bucket passes by in church, I just pray to God and say, God, I didn't put anything in the bucket, but I've already tithed because you're first in my life. And so I love that particular way of giving. Now, let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and thank you for sharing with us how we can experience abundant life. And Lord, I pray that you would use this to encourage and inspire people to be generous and certainly to return the top 10% to you through this church. Lord, this is a great church. It is a generous church already. And it's because of that we've been able to be involved in many amazing ministries. And Lord, I just want to say thank you that this church is a generous church. But I ask that you would lead and guide individuals in their personal giving journey. Show them what you want them to do. Thank you for your love and for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.